What's up, everyone? This is the Nuts and Bolts podcast, and I'm your host, the one James, here with our amazing co-host, Airball. Hey, everyone. And Michael Kritz. Hey, what I do? And we're here to give you the nuts and bolts of the standard and pioneer formats each and every week for your listening pleasure, and maybe you learn a thing or two along the way. But first, let me talk to you about the sponsor of this podcast, CoolStuffInc.com. Using code JAMES5, you can save 5% off of anything in the store. Sealed products, singles, anything you could ever need in Magic the Gathering. They have it. Go self yourself. Save yourself some hard-earned money. First up, let's go to the upkeep. We're going to talk about the jargon of the day today. It's going to be Anthem and Lord. We decided to group them together because they basically do the same thing. And we're going to tell you where they originated and also some applications that you might see them in in current standard and pioneer so first up is anthem named after glorious anthem and lord is named after lord of atlantis any effect that buffs or pumps your entire team whether that be a creature played in pioneer like elvish arc druid or an enchantment played in standard like wedding festivity uh, you might see them put plus one plus one on all of the creatures that's most common, or it can be anything greater than that as well, but usually it's plus one, plus one. I think the most common one you'll probably see is Wedding Festivity, but uh, there's not many of them in Pioneer, right? Well, there's literal Anthem itself. That's legal anyway, I think, but yeah. But there's none mm. that are like really played too often. There's the new Goblin that's played in uh, the new Goblin's uh, Pioneer deck that's coming, up, that's coming up with that new Goblin Lord that came in to that uh, came into the new set, right? Mm-hmm. But anyways, that's what we're dealing with when we talk about when someone says there's an anthem, when someone says there's a lord, usually when someone says lord, it's usually a creature. Anthem is like usually talking about an enchantment, but you can also talk about a creature as an anthem as well. Anyways, we're going to go ahead and move to our main face today. We're going to take a deep dive into Pioneer Rakdos midrange. This is where all of the Rakdos gang gang comes and hangs out Rakdos gang gang <laughs> um, we're going to talk about Rakdos midrange we're going to talk about the game plan of the deck the card choices that it's choosing to play what the core game plan is what the flex strategies are flex cards sideboard tech choices what the game plan is post sideboard some and we're going to talk about some matchups from almost every deck that you'll probably see in pioneer of what the strategy is against those different matchups. And you're going to see how the matchups change and the strategy and game plan changes throughout each matchup. Sometimes we're going to be the control deck. Sometimes we're going to be the aggro deck. Sometimes we're going to be the mid-range deck that we are at its core. Anyways, I'm going to give the floor to Airball and Michael to, to just give a little bit of a background on what the overarching game plan and strategy is, what they think it is for Rakdos Midrange. We'll start with Airball. Yeah, uh, Rakdos Midrange is one of your classic rock midrange decks. It's a deck that thrives on cheap removal, uh, basically trading one for one with your opponent until they land a creature or a threat that the opponent can't answer. So Bonecrusher Giant is like a typical card in this archetype. Uh, it's a two for one in itself. It removes an opponent's creature and then leaves a threat behind that can be difficult for the opponent to remove. You do that enough times, so you get your opponent uh, on zero cards in hand and you just kill them. On to you, Michael. What What is your representation of this Rakdos deck? I mean, you know, as the resident Rakdos gang gang person, uh, you know, I, I love the deck. Uh, my my feelings about the, the Rakdos deck is it 
you know, it's a deck about, you know, it, small edges like origami, just trying to make small edges from the, from the rip. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you, you have to facilitate a good game plan from the, from the get-go and no role assignment. And from those two things and playing well, uh, the Rakdos deck kind of rewards you for that. Um, you're like Airball said, one for one, uh, one for one in your opponent and getting small incremental value here or there is kind of how you want to project the game over the long term. And then at some point, hopefully you have something that kind of rounds out uh, the the suite of one for oneing and, and incremental advantage, or you've just reached a critical point of one for one in your opponent where they can't come back. And that's kind of the I guess the core of the feeling that of, of Rak- the Rakdos deck and Pioneer. Yeah, Rakdos has a lot of one and two mana interaction in turns one and two, namely Thought Seize, Fatal Push, Blood Chief's Thirst. Some people play Strangle. Uh, there's a lot of cards like Dreadbore and uh, you know Blood Tithe Harvester that can deal with our opponent's cards. And when it turn when it gets to turn three and turn four of the game, you'll see a lot of t- three and four mana cards in Rakdos just not being removal spells at all. And they're all just proactive cards. Kalidus, Chandra Torture Defiance, Soren the Mirthless, Fable the Mirrorbreaker, Graveyard Trespasser, Bonecrusher Giant. That's also a turn two interaction play that becomes a turn three proactive play. You'll see Rakdos on turn three of the game almost never interact with your opponent unless they really, really have to, to take a turn off of being proactive. And the efficiency of the Rakdos cards, like Thoughtseize and Fatal Push, are so efficient in in, in uh, interacting with your opponent it, regardless of what deck they're playing Thoughtseize against control decks or combo decks and Fatal Push against almost everything else that the turn three play for Rakdos usually goes into almost an empty board if not like one other creature on the opponent's board right and when you put a creature like Bonecrusher Giant that's a 4-3 or Graveyard Trespasser that's a 3-3 that also requires a discard to deal with or Fable of the Mirror Breaker that turns into two different creatures and gains you card advantage and, and, and puts that treasure token when the 2-2 when the is attacking. These cards provide so much value and are always almost always two-for-ones. If you don't know what a two-for-one is, we talk about the jargon in about episode one or two of the podcast, but almost everything in the... Almost every value creature in proactive play in Rakdos midrange is a two for one. So not only are you interacting with them on turns one and two, but you're also killing your opponent on turns three. Uh, you're you're putting the 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 pieces and the 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 road in place to kill your opponent on turns three and four with cards that are also really difficult for your opponent to deal with, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think the other thing to point out about Rakdos is that it wants to play a low resource kind of game. So there are other control decks that like to do one for one removals and then have card draw spells to draw to later on. But those control decks tend to like to play high resource games because it means that they have a variety of options available to them. Rakdos likes it when your opponent has no options, which is a little bit different, even though it's the same sort of philosophy, one-for-one trades and then get value. Um, Rakdos likes it when you just don't have any answers left to deal with your creatures, and whereas a control deck, with this, even with a similar strategy, would like to have more resources to be able to choose the correct answer. Yeah. And I think the uh, versatility and flexibility of a lot of the the cards in this Rakdos uh, Pioneer deck makes it really uh, nice. You have things that are either a proactive creature or removal, you know, in in things of Blood Tithe Harvester and uh, Bone Crusher Giant. Um, You have 
things like, you know, Kroxa, who can make your opponent, like, also discard and then also become a creature. Uh, you have Chandra, which is creature removal, or give you more resources, whether that be mana or cards. So everything in the deck sometimes feels like it's pulling double duty, and it's kind of really nice to feel like you're you can have multiple game plans and switch up the game plans mid-game too. So that's it's also kind of a, a really nice thing within a, a, a Rakdos package. There's a, there's another aspect of Rakdos that I don't think I mentioned yet. Um, a lot of the cards in Rakdos are two-edged swords. They're both proactive and reactive. A card like Graveyard Trespasser reacts to your opponent having a graveyard game plan. Um, it, it turns off your opponent's delve cards. It, it exiles their, their, their Arclight Phoenixes. It, it exiles their... You know, they're in the Grease Fang deck. It exiles their targets for Grease Fang. It exiles their Grease Fang itself in case you want to bring it back with a reanimate spell. Um, Bone Crusher Giant in... Go ahead, Michael. I was going to say, it's also discard. Like, it's double discard in some ways. Like, they have to remove... Like, if you've right. ever had an opponent Lightning Axe your Graveyard Trespasser, <laughs> you're have. just like, oh my god, I can't <laughs> lose. <laughs> right, Exactly. So uh, in the case of Bone Crusher Giant, you're using it as a removal spell, and also it's a creature. In the case of Chandra Torture Defiance, you're using it as a, it can be a removal spell and also um, advance your game plan. So there's a lot of different things that you can do and a lot of different ways that you can play it. There's a lot of m very small decisions that you can make that really can impact the future of the game. Now, speaking of those cards that we're gonna, that we're talking about here, what are the, the card choices that facilitate the game plan of interact with our opponent on one and two, turns one and two, get them on... A little bit of a, a low, lower amount of cards in hand. Maybe they have no cards in hand, and then kill your opponent with ter really value turn three and four plays. What card choices facilitate that game plan? Uh, I'm gonna um, kick off the floor to Airball, Airball to talk about some specific card choices that are played in Rakdos to facilitate that. Yeah, I mean the the elephant in the room is Thoughtseize, right? Thoughtseize is played in every single format where it's legal for good reason. It's incredibly efficient. It gives you a ton of information about what's in your opponent's hand. It disrupts combos. Uh, it gives you a, a way to plan out your next few plays for the, for the following turns. Um, and it's very, it's very easy to play and still advance your own game plan. If, if remember, remember back when Thought Erasure was a card people were playing, yep. and it was a two mana spell. And the paying two mana to disrupt your opponent's hand versus paying one is just an enormous difference. Turn, like being able to play Thoughtseize for one mana and then develop your board at the same time, especially if you're playing against like a control deck or something, is just devastating. Yeah, Michael, talk about some a little bit of uh, main deck card choices here that you think facilitate the game plan for Rakdos. I mean, Blood Tithe Harvester is is huge. Like so, that card does so much work in in so many different ways. It's creature removal. If you have to remove a creature, that's you know low toughness. It is a proactive game plan, um, so you can just start beating, you know, your opponent's face. It, it's, you know, and it's also card draw, like card filtering rather. So, um, but it's that like removal package too. So, you know, between the thought seizes and the fatal pushes mentioned and blood type harvester, you kind of have like a really solid turns one through two that still allow for a lot of flexibility, especially if you just consider like thought sees you thought see someone. That gives you the flexibility of how to progress your game plan because you know what your opponent is doing and your opponent doesn't know what you're doing. You know, fatal push, you're just removing creatures, so you can kind of open up space for you to do things. And then blood type harvester is just it 
in some ways it feels like a must answer threat for some decks and it's not great to interact with either. So it, it kind of gives you just a really nice way to start the game between those cards. I think Blood Tithe Harvester is a good point. Because I think Blood Tithe Harvester actually uh, is just the the core part of this deck. I think it's Blood Tithe Harvester, Fable the Mirror Breaker, Fatal Push, and Thoughtseize. And maybe Graveyard Trespasser to an extent. There's Liliana of the Veil that just came out and Shieldred that just came out and people are playing some numbers of them. But if you had to boil it down to a couple cards, Blood Tithe Harvester is definitely one of them that I'm going to mention here. It's a proactive threat. So it facilitates your game plan against control decks that is a 2-mana 3-2 that can kill your opponent very quickly if your opponent doesn't get rid of it. So it's must-answer like you were saying, Michael. Also, it is interactive against the decks that you need to be interactive against, like other aggro decks, like Mono Red, Mono White, Mono Green, um, kill, killing different uh, cards like Lenoir Elves, um, you know, kill, killing cards in Mono White like Thalia, um, Guardian of Thraben, killing things in Mono Red like a, you know, like a... Uh, um, like a you know just a random two mana two two Eidolon of the Great Rebel I think that's what yep. the name is yep. so it just does things against every matchup that you always want to be doing not to mention it also is card filtering if you find yourself flooding you can just discard a card for the blood token to draw a new card usually mid range decks don't have this level of card fil card filtering from Blood Tithe Harvester and Fable of the Mirror Breaker not to mention also I guess I'm mentioning it the extreme synergy between Blood Tithe Harvester and Reflection of Kikijiki. If those two yeah. are on the board at the same time and you're playing against an aggro deck, you instantly win the game if they don't have an interaction immediately. So the, the so Rakdos can, if left unanswered, can go into this weird combo game plan where it's like putting things together with Reflection of Kikijiki to really hammer into your opponent and kill everything they're playing. And also the fact that Blood Tithe Harvester can sacrifice itself and doesn't actually have to sacrifice the blood tokens to do that. You can you have the blood tokens left over afterwards to filter however many times you want to filter and if it's left unanswered if you've already haven't won the game already you have like five six uh you know tokens that you can uh pitch whatever card that you don't need anymore to the graveyard to draw a new card um another card that i want to mention here when we're talking about card choices is shieldred some people like playing it some people aren't i'm currently not playing it in my current rakdos build but Shieldred's another one of those cards, kind of like Graveyard Trespasser and Blood Tithe Harvester, that if left unanswered, you are extremely punished for that. And more, more than any other card in the deck, I guess besides either Soren the Mirthless or Chandra Torture Defiance, punishes you the most for not being able to deal with it. And it also punishes you for trying to deal with it. Drawing into outs to try to deal with it, you take damage. Drawing it from, in the mirror match, drawing from blood tokens to try to deal with it takes damage. If you are playing against Is It Phoenix and they play a lot of cantrips like Opt or a cantrip like Consider to try to, to try to find an answer, they're dying at the same time. It's just extremely punishing. So there's a lot of cards in this Rakdos deck that are just downright punishing to the point where you might lose the game if you can't deal with them immediately. Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, the, the, there's, you know, not much to say other than like your your high your top end. Um, deck choices for for your you know ending proactive plan for Rakdos midrange and yeah I, you mentioned that you don't have shieldred in your deck um i i haven't quite played my deck with shieldred in it but i intend to if i was able to play in the past two or three weeks i would have been playing shieldred at least probably two copies of it um and yeah that card is that card is amazing i i, I really enjoy um the, from what I've seen people do in my testing team, hearing about them and their reactions to Shieldred, it's just been, it seems really good. 
So it sounds like you guys might disagree a little bit about whether you think Shieldred is like a core part of the deck that you never leave home without, or whether it's a flex card that you bring in to address the meta. That uh, sounds like James, you think it's more of a flex bot, but Michael, you think it's more of a core part of the deck. I'm wondering why you guys think that way. I think mm. that it, I think that it's a flex bot because it's not it, it's not enacting the it's not really enacting the game plan in a way that is different than what the that the core part of the deck is already doing. You're already killing them with your three and four mana cards like Fable the Mirror Breaker, Bone Crusher Giant, Graveyard Trespasser, and if you're playing Chandra Torture Defiance or Soren the Mirthless or even Kalidus, your deck's already really doing that. And if your opponent can't remove those cards anyway, you're probably already winning. If your opponent isn't removing a Shieldred, they're probably they're probably losing also. So I, I think it might be a little bit win more, but it is really, really good in certain matchups. So if I owned a Shieldred, I, I might play it in a sideboard as like a one or two of against card decks that really have a problem dealing with it. Like is it Phoenix red based removal decks and decks that only have either, um, you know, bounce ways to remove it. Like maybe a uh, brazen borrower is the only way that mono blue spirits can deal with it. Or maybe, maybe, uh, there's another deck that likes to draw cards a lot, like Lotus Field, might have a really hard time dealing with it. So against decks like that, that either have a lot of card draw and also have a really hard time dealing with it, it's really, really punishing. But I don't think it does something against the other a lot of other matchups that your deck isn't already doing. Um, so I'm not that. Uh, let's what's the word for it? I'm not the the strong. I'm not like strong, strongly or like super strong about advocating for Shieldred. I would just much rather play a Shieldred than a Lily, like the first copy of Liliana the Veil. I I'm not about having that card in my Rakdos uh, mid range deck at all. So in my head, like I like to think between Shieldred and Kalitas is kind of like my thought of like depending on what meta I'm attacking um or you know my local scene like i'm gonna probably alternate between having either two two the two to three copies of either or or maybe a mixture i'm not quite sure but i think that's where i i have my four mana slot uh is either shieldred or kalitas and um i'm just kind of keen on shieldred because it's a new card obviously but at the same time it, it does seem to be kind of performing in a good fashion Another matchup that I didn't even think about about Shieldred would be really good against Boros Heroic. They play a lot of a lot of deal four damage cards, like um, there's the one that deals four damage to a creature and deals two to their own Reckless Rage. That is uh, that cannot kill Shieldred, and they have a lot of ways to filter through their deck um, with the Eliminator Virtuoso being able to draw and discard over and over and over again, and they are going to die eventually if they keep drawing over and over again. So they eventually have to stop targeting their Illuminator Virtuoso or try to get big enough to where it can double strike over Shieldred to, uh, in order to make Shieldred not matter anymore. So in that matchup, it's also really good. So in, for me, it's a sideboard slot. But one thing we do disagree on is Liliana of the Veil. I, mm -hmm. I went from four and then I went, from, went to three and now I'm at two Liliana of the Veil. So I guess I'm going mm -hmm. towards what you think. But I think Liliana of the Veil is really important for the deck because it... It 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 helps facilitate the game plan even further. I don't I don't think it's a win more card. It's also something. It's I think it's something that the deck was actually missing. Even though I only play two right now, I think it's a super necessary card to play because it also helps cards that you're really bad against, and also helps matchups that you're really bad against. Um, against blue light control that you're already pretty good against, it's good. 
But against other pretty bad matchups like combo decks like Lotus Field or Creativity, it's very good because you want to keep you want to keep putting pressure on their hand and, and stop them from hoarding their combo pieces and resources the whole, the whole game. And also, as the Rakdos player, you are not keeping a lot of cards in your hand at all times because there's not a lot of like refill your hand draw cards in Rakdos that a lot of the times you are hellbent, which means you have no more, no cards in your hand for the, those of you who don't know what hellbent means. But um, I think it facilitates the game plan and it also makes it very difficult for your opponent to actually come back in the game once you have a single creature on the board and a Liliana the Veil. They can't really put a creature in board to block you because you'll just minus Liliana and go along with your day. And then if they don't play a creature, then you might just discard it out of their hand. So they kind of feel forced to play the creature. But then it, it just falls into the game plan of removing the creature with the Dreadbore or whatever you're playing. So it, 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 it's, it's a card that's like really pretty bad when you're behind, but a little bit better when you're ahead. But it kind of like seals the game, if that, if that makes sense. And also, and also could be really good in other matchups like the mirror match, sacrificing your opponent's graveyard trespasser. That you the way, that way you don't have to discard a card. And it also is really good against a very very good card against Rakdos is Dream Trawler. Um, I felt like I had to sideboard in something to deal with Dream Trawler, like a Soul Shatter or effect or something like that, or like even board in a, a one copy of Extinction Event to even use against that card. But with Liliana the Veil in my deck, I no longer have to worry about that. So. I mean, I'm curious to see why you don't think it should be played in Rakdos. Yeah, um, my response to that is I feel like it, I know um, in your experience and, and how you feel that uh, Liliana is in line or aligns with the game plan of how Rakdos um, midrange wants to go. And I think it, it, it doesn't personally, in my own experience. Uh, so, um and why I say that specifically because you, it, you totally might be right. Like in your games, it, it feels solid, it feels smooth. It, and I'm saying from my experience, like it feels like it's doing something that is inherently different from what I'm trying to achieve. Um, I don't feel like it's proactive enough um, that if you are in parody, that it's actually doing anything good enough. Um, it seems like it should. But sometimes you don't have anything on board. You have a Liliana, and they can somewhat deal with your Liliana, or they can top deck something good because you can't affect their top decks. Um, and you know, once you know the cat's out of the bag that you you're a Rakdos deck playing a Liliana, you know they can start sequencing creatures in such a fashion that you know you're not taking care of their strongest threat, or you know, or they can sequence it in a way that. Um, you know, they're they're making sure that you're taking down with your Liana so they can take care of it later. Um, the times that I feel like I've played it uh, where I was at neutral or or at neutral parity or behind, I just lost the game. Um, if I play it while I'm ahead, it still doesn't feel like I'm really cementing. You, you mentioned that it, it cemented it for you, but I felt like, um, yeah, like maybe we both don't have cards, but it feels like something that I've experienced playing Rakdos in a bunch of formats through, you know, throughout my whole time playing Magic, that the top decks are where it gets scary. And if you can't do something more proactive to, in order to make sure that their top decks aren't effective, then you end up kind of just losing and having like, you know, a, a Planeswalker on the board and, and not quite happy. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about Liliana. And if I have a, a opponent who's playing a Liliana the Veil, and I'm playing Rakdos mid-range, I'm kind of happy. I, I feel like I can work around the Liliana, and I'm not really too concerned about um, the opposing Liliana. 
you know, those are those are good points. And you're, you're kind of highlighting like what the problem is for Rakdos in general. And I do want to I do actually do want to talk about that. It's a good thing to talk about what the weaknesses are of Rakdos midrange and how to play against Rakdos midrange if you are playing against it or, or how to solidify your weaknesses and make them a little bit less of a weakness if you are playing Rakdos midrange. Um, I, I personally think that Liliana the Veil, when your opponent's top decking, yes, you can affect their top decks, but you also do make them play their top, their top deck. A lot of the times when your opponent's top decking against Rakdos midrange, they can kind of like want to hoard cards in their hand, like draw a card, pass, draw a card, pass, draw a card, pass, if you're not putting a lot of pressure on to kind of like work up the card advantage. And you can't let them, you don't let them do that if you have Liliana. You make them play the card, whether it's a land or, or any other spell. But I do want to use that as a segue to get into the weaknesses. Like you said, it's hard to play against the top of the deck. And that's one of the things that people playing Rakdos midrange or Jun midrange in modern or different, different midrange decks that rely on one for one your opponent and making your opponent have no cards in hand is you can't beat their top deck. And I want to use that to highlight some bad matchups for Rakdos. Number one is mono green devotion. You can't, you can't hurt their, t you can kill their creatures and you can thought seize them and you can duress them, but you can't stop them from playing lands and casting storm the festival off the top of their deck, getting a couple copies of whatever creature is hurting, hurting against you, which is maybe a couple cavalier of thorns or a Karn and a Kiora or a Kiora and a cavalier of thorns triggering both drawing a card. And then they next turn, you can't kill them because they just put a board state on the board. And then next, the turn after that, they use all their Nykthosis and everything and kill you from there. So that's a way that I've definitely lost playing Rakdos against Mono Green in that exact same way. And that happens in that same way for other decks, not necessarily Mono Green. Decks like Enigmatic, Five Color Enigmatic Fires. They can all of a sudden top deck their way out of it with a huge Enigmatic Incarnation into a... Titan of Industry, making a 4-4 and gaining 5 life to get out of range. And now they have a 7-7 seven, seven and a 4-4. Four, four. What are you going to do against that when you're Rakdos midrange, right? Or what? Or maybe even against Lotus Field, where they can be top decking and you almost have them dead. And they top deck, you know, pour over the pages and draw three cards and untap their lands. And all of a sudden they're killing you, right? You can't stop thought seize the top of their deck, right? Now, those are, yeah. those are some matchups that are pretty bad for Rakdos. And I do want to kick it off to Airball to kind of talk about some maybe sideboard cards that can help in those matchups and help the strategy kind of fill in the holes between against super go wide strategies, having some sweepers in the sideboard and against those bad matchups, with, whether it's combo decks or different things like that, that can out that can out top deck you and top deck into a win, like I just said, how to really beat those decks with the sideboard. Yeah, I mean, the way that you beat decks that top deck well against you is by not giving them many opportunities to top deck. Um, you need to close out the game. And if you if you give a blue-white control player five draw steps, one of those is probably going to be a Teferi or Memory Deluge, and then they're right back in the game. So it's really important to have a clock at the same time as you're discarding all their stuff. Um, luckily, the main deck does that pretty well. Uh, Graveyard Trespasser is excellent. Uh, Blood Tithe Harvester is excellent, as we saw. Squee often comes in out of the sideboard. Uh, the Manlands in the deck are very good at applying pressure as well. Um, Liliana, not so much. Uh, Soren, I don't think so much. Uh, Shieldred is, like, fine, but I think other pieces can do it better. Um, it was just interesting to hear you talk about Mono Green. It just, it's not exactly the question that you asked me, but it's a, a side point that I was thinking about. Mono Green is a creature slash combo deck, which is like the kind of thing that a Rakdosi mid rangey deck you would expect to be good at because it's really good at killing creatures. 
and the Thoughtseize and Cheap Interaction are really good at disrupting combo. But the creatures come into play off Storm the Festival and off the top of the deck, and the combo is never really in the opponent's hands. The combo comes in out of the sideboard being wished for by Karn, or it's it's Nykthos, which is immune to being Thoughtseized in the first place. Uh, It's very difficult to disrupt by traditional means. So Mono Green probably just easily wins the late game if you ever get there, and it's good enough at putting beef in the way so that Rakdos can't put a good clock on them. So I think that's why Mono Green is kind of like the nightmare matchup. I'm not even really sure what you bring in against them. Um, I don't have a whole lot of experience playing the deck against Mono Green. Now, I I had a problem against Mono Green a lot playing Rakdos in the past couple months that I was playing regional championship qualifiers. But in the past regional championship qualifier, I played against Mono Green twice in Swiss and won both times. So I like to think that I've figured it out. And I've also uh, won uh, my second match against Mono Green in the, ra- in the sixth round. I uh, drew in in the seventh round into top eight. But the that match was really back and forth, and I really feel like the game plan that I enacted really worked out. And I think the game plan is if you don't have a two-mana creature in your opening hand, mulligan until you get one. You have to put pressure on your opponent with Blood Tithe Harvester or a card that we haven't talked about yet, Tenacious Underdog, which is one of those other flex spots that you can discard to fable the Mirror Breaker and bring back out of your graveyard for additional card advantage later on in the game. Um, it's just a th- two-mana 3-2. If you do not have a two-mana 3-2, you will lose the game. It is almost guaranteed. I've played this matchup so often and tested so often that the game plan is play your 2-mana 3-2 and then sideboard in your ways to kill their creatures like uh, and, and, and exiling them, which is Epic Downfall. I personally play three Epic Downfall on my sideboard because you need to get rid of Old Growth Troll because Old Growth Troll does a great job with four toughness in blocking all of your 2-mana 3-2s. And then you um, you need to put them in a position where they're casting Karn just to get like the Skyboat, the Sky Sovereign console flagship, and then hope they can draw a land and cast it the next turn before you can thought seize it. Uh, and then because when you when they minus Karn, they put it at three, and three is the magic number because you need to have a three three power creature to kill Karn right afterwards. I have put a Graveyard Trespasser or a Bone Crusher Giant on the board on turn three before Fable the Mirror Breaker. Uh, game, uh, well, games two and three, I sideboard, I sideboard out all the Graveyard Trespassers. But in games, game one, you want to play that three or four power creature before you even play Fable the Mirror Breaker because Fable the Mirror Breaker can't kill Karn. And the treasure won't do anything because you haven't killed Karn and Karn stops your treasures. So you need to be able to kill Karn and kill them at the same time. And you need to remove all of their creatures. Removing their mana, cre- their mana creatures with Blood Chief's Thirst, Strangle, whichever one you decide to play, Fatal Push, all of their Lanoir Elves and Elvish Mystics. If you don't, they, they were going to get to turn five and turn six way too fast for you to kill them. You need, you need for them to be at like seven, six, five, four, three, two, whatever life, lower than 10 before they cast their first five or six mana spell. And if they, yeah, this seems absolutely miserable, doesn't it? Like you're, what you're saying is basically you must ha- you must mulligan until you find this specific piece in your deck. That specific piece happens to be a relatively mopey creature, and on top of that, you also need to be able to interact with every single thing that they play, or they're going to uh, go way bigger than you can by turn three or four. It, it's hard. It's hard to imagine how that could ever be a good or even even matchup. Oh, it's not good, and it's not even. It's still bad. 
But if you but if you are going to win the matchup, if you find yourself playing against mono green, that's how you have to do it. Yes, you might have to get a little bit lucky. You have to draw uh, some number of epic, epic downfalls. You um, sometimes it's really good to structure your turns in a way that only makes even creatures on the board, whether that's Fable the Mirror Breaker tokens or Blood Tithe Harvesters, and then get a really powerful extinction event off. I bring in all my extinction events from the sideboard, and because all of mono green's creatures are odd, all of the mana dorks, all the old growth troll, the uh, the uh, Cavalier of Thorns, everything is odd. Um, I got my opponent to a, to a place where they were at like six life and they cast a Storm to Festival to try to get back into the game. And I had a couple creatures on board. I think it was like two Blood Tithe Harvesters. And they uh, and I had two open mana. They got a Karn they, and they had a Sky, a, a Sky Sovereign console flagship already on the board so it could attack from the previous turn. Um, they fable they uh they used this you know six mana storm the festival, and they got a Karn and a Kiora, like they untapped their uh, land, tapped it to play a creature, and then they plussed Karn on the Sky Sovereign console flagship as to make it a creature, and then went to go attack me with Sky Sovereign. But before they attacked, I uh, used a braid on the uh, Sky Sovereign that I had boarded in from the sideboard. And then he was like, oh, a braid. And then uh, the, the next turn, I used a my epic downfall on their 4-4 and attacked them for game with the two Blood Harvesters. So you have to get it to that point in the game in order for your cards to be super effective. I mean, it's not Pokemon, but very effective against your the opponent's strategy. And you have to get them to a point where they kind of have to play a big spell and kind of, quote unquote, hope that they hit right. And it's a really bad spot to be in, and it's not a good matchup. But if you're going to win the matchup, I think that's how you're supposed to win it. Um, do you have any um, anything on this, Michael? No, I mean you you basically said what needs to be said. Turns one through three are super important for you, and that's basically kind of really going to decide the rest of the game. You have to remove some of their mana creatures. You got to make sure that their Karn doesn't stick, uh, and those things are all kind of determined through. Uh, your turns one through three, um, and and going from there. Uh, I know that for me, another helpful card is um, Life Bane Zombie because that can sometimes like get rid of the uh, Storm of the Fest. Is it just creatures? It's, it's just it, creatures, but it, it'll it'll give yeah. it'll if you when you're on when you're on the play, it'll get rid of the Old Growth Troll and also get rid of Cavalier Thorn yeah. on the draw. So that's yeah, those that's sorry, yeah. So it, it gets rid of those those two problematic creatures, which can be uh, great, especially if you're on the play, especially if you're on the play. Um, and then obviously, if you're on the draw, you want to bring in some of that removal. So I think that's kind of how I approach the matchup too. I've noticed that it works out much well, much much better, uh, or it works out better. If you're able to interact on turns one through three and have a solid game plan, that's just kind of how that needs to go. And, and then, you know, take a little bit of copium and, and hope that you get there. <laughs> that's true. Uh, that's that's probably the one of the worst matchups in the in, in all of Pioneer, honestly, for Rakdos. But I think I've cracked the game plan on how to beat that deck if you're Rakdos. Um, let's talk about a couple more bad matchups and we'll talk about the rest of the field. Uh, another bad matchup is Lotus Field. And that is because, like we were talking about before, your opponent can just win off the top of their deck. So what I've found that's really good against them is making sure that your opponent's discarding their cards and isn't allowed to put the pieces together into their in their hand over the course of two, three, four turns. And they can kill you as early as turn four or five. So if you, you need to get really timely Thoughtseize off, 
You need to get that turn two, three, two on the board. Again, once again, it's one of those matchups where you need to be the aggro deck and you need to make your opponent really think about whether they need to cast their proactive spell or maybe cast something that's going to be reactive. A lot of reactive cards in that deck look like Fog or look like Beseju or look like uh, Odawara to kind of bounce your stuff, but they don't really play a lot of hard removal or anything. They're just kind of trying to stall the game until they can combo you. So if you're Rakdos, you need to be as aggro as you can possibly be. And I also like, I also really like Liliana of the Veil in that matchup because that deck really doesn't like discarding cards. And when you can discard cards out of their hand, they are really mad about it. Um, and you don't really need to be too cute when you're playing against that matchup. You just need to put some creatures on the board and, and hope it works. Uh, in Rakdos, you're not the you're not the most aggressive aggro deck ever, but you can kill on turn four or five if you're left unanswered. And Lotus Field's one of those decks that they're trying to assemble their pieces of Exodia. They're not really trying to. They're not really caring whether what what you're doing to them unless they're dead, right? Yeah. All right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's it's pretty solid. Uh, and you know, it's you said it like you want to sideboard into maybe. Well, you didn't say it, but you do want to sideboard some more into like duress or some of your mm -hmm. land hate type of things to kind of slow them down a bit, so you can get in with your creatures because you are the beatdown. It's not something that we spoke about. This Rakdos mid-range thing, which we should have probably started off with the foundation of it, is like correct role assignment. If you can't get correct role assignment while playing this deck, you're going to just lose your games. Um, so knowing that you're the beatdown in that and trying to disrupt their game plan uh, through discard, you know, restricting their resources through land hate. And um, you mentioned one other thing. Uh, yeah, making them discard and stuff like that uh, with Liliana, if that's the the route you choose to go to, you know that's that's your game plan against them, yep. and, and you kind of have to hope. Like when I when I played an RCQ and I uh, was going against the the Lotus Field deck, luckily like w there were some talks about the the Den Denver meta because I was at Denver there at the time, and um, I I had two to three land hate cards, and I brought, brought them in, and I got to them each time, uh, at least one of them, and played really well around their Biseju, and you know it worked out for me. So yeah, it's important to, if you do have land hate that you have to you, that you target their Thespian stage because Lotus Field does have hexproof. So, but if you can if you can if you use your land hate. In response to them using that Thespian stage, you likely just win the game on the spot. So if you do have a card like Field of Ruin that you're playing, I don't recommend playing Field of Ruin because you're playing Blood Tithe Harvester on turn two and you never want to have Field of Ruin on turn two. But if you are playing some instant speed land hate and you want to get rid of that, uh, rid of that um that Thespian stage, you will do that. I should specify the land hates like Alpine Moon or Damping Spear or something. That, like oh, that, that also too. If you are playing those and you're playing in Damping Spear, which I am playing as well, Damping Spear is very important against uh, Mono Green and also very important against Lotus Field. Uh, if you are doing those things, you will likely win the game unless your opponent has Besaju and your opponent's playing like, you know, I've seen up to three Besaju's being played in that deck to deal with those hate cards. Um, mm -hmm. But you kind of have to have them and have them stick. Um, do you have do you have any other uh, input on the matchup, Airball? I just think it's kind of funny that both of the bad matchups we've talked about, the core piece has been a land that Rakdos has just not been able to yeah. interact with. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the general Rakdos philosophy is, oh, are you you're going to play something? I'm going to kill it. Oh, you're not going to play it? I'm going to discard it. And the lands are basically immune to both of those things and set up very well for the top decks that Rakdos is weak to. Mm -hmm. Yep. There's one other matchup that I want to talk about that's a bad matchup, and we'll get into other matchups, is uh, there is an Is It Creativity deck, Indomitable Creativity, um, that they play 
you know, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, a bunch of removal spells and draw spells, and they also play Big Score, and the other one that's kind of like Big Score, but uh, does the same exact thing, discard a card, draw two cards, make two treasure tokens. Then they untap, play a land, and then they uh, target their two treasure tokens with Indomitable Creativity, and they get uh, Xenagos and World Spine Worm and kill you with like a 35 power World, World Spine Worm, and you can't do anything about it unless you have instant speed removal that deals with a 35 power creature, which you probably are 36 power creature, whatever it is. And you probably don't unless you're playing Noxious Grasp in your main deck, which you're also probably not going to be playing. Um, also, if you play a braid in your main deck, like I play one copy in my deck and they target two treasures instead of three treasures, then you can abrade one of the treasures and then they can't get their other copy of a card. But it's an awful matchup because they can combo you at any point in the game as long as they have big score and drawing two cards and they draw into indomitable creativity and they're doing anything they can in their power to not die before they do that so as we've talked about in these other matchups what's the game plan kill your opponent before they can do that because they can combo you off the top of the deck and you don't like that so i have taken matters into my own hands and i don't like playing against these combo decks uh playing racto so i'm personally playing a copy of necromentia in my sideboard because necromentia oh can call lands and that is an out to lands. It can call Lotus Field. It can call Nykthos. It can call Indomitable Creativity or whatever you want to call against that combo deck. So I'm playing one copy of that. I don't. I probably don't advise playing that. But if you so if you really don't like playing against the combo decks, you can play that if you want to. Mm. <laughs> That's cool. Wow. Yeah. I just I, uh, they they don't have any words. Uh, everyone listening to this, they they D- are shaking their head. They're shaking Jane their head. They, they don't have words. He, he I didn't hurt. expect you to admit that. Like, I, that that's I admitted that's it. almost shameful. Yeah, I, I bought one. Wow. It was like yeah. a, a dollar. So yeah. I did it. You, I, I mean, I have, I have three copies, but I, I haven't I drawn it yet. But I <laughs> put it in my sideboard. Yeah, that's uh, you've been hurt before. Listen, and, I uh, have been hurt. Okay. Yeah. I know my bad matchups and I know how to beat them. That's just all I'm going to say. Okay. Listen, you might not be able to top to to discard their. You might not be able to discard the top of their deck, but you can play a card that reaches into their deck. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly what Rakdos needs—a card that doesn't affect the board or their hand. <laughs> Good. Yep. Yeah. Good solid. But I, I don't agree with playing a card like Necromentia unless it just completely stops your opponent's deck. So I probably won't be bringing it in against Mono Green because. It doesn't stop their whole deck. You can play Necromentia against Mono Green, but then they can just kill you with five sixes from four fours. So you just don't want to do that. Um, but against Creativity, that's their only win condition. They can't do anything else. If you stop Creativity, you win the game. Or if you stop Xenagos or World Spine Worm, you instantly win the game. They have no other win condition. Uh, against Lotus Field, if you get that before they play a Lotus Field and you call Lotus Field, they cannot win the game. Or, or if you call, you know, what other other card, if they already have a Lotus Field in play, you call Thespian Stage, they probably can no longer win the game unless it's like eight turns from now and then you'll kill them by then. So, yeah, I, I, th- I think it's I think it's smart. I think I'm going next level here, but it might be too next, next, next level. No, okay? no, 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 no. You're fine. You're fine. You're just you're you're early shot caller like that happens in magic all the time. Like fast forward, like five, six months from now, everyone's going to be on Necromentia because they'll print something that just makes combo like worse matchup. And then Rakdos will be playing Necromentia like that. That stuff happens 
all the time, but I'm not on Necromancer okay, so, right now. So, I think you, I think you're you're perceiving the future too far out. <laughs> okay, so Michael and Airball. So I can officially say you heard it first here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it might, you know, it might be the only place we ever hear it. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's get into the matchups that are a little bit more favorable because you might not play against those matchups and those matchups are probably you may even play against them like once besides mono green. You might play every round, but besides the other two, um, you, you want to get good at playing against mono green and fashion your sideboard for that matchup. But let's talk about some other ones. Let's talk about a little bit of the mirror. The mirror matches is very back and forth. It's if you have a graveyard trespasser and your opponent doesn't and they have to discard a card to get rid of yours, very bad. You want to have cards like Liliana, Liliana of the Veil, Extinction Event, cards like that to deal with your opponent's things, or cards that are a little bit unconditional removal that deal three damage, like a braid or something that just one for one kills a graveyard trespasser or a bone crusher giant, because three damage is where you want to be, because almost everything in the Rakdos deck has three toughness. Um, that's why the Sky Sovereign console flagship is really good against Rakdos. I personally had that card in my sideboard for a little bit, and I've even seen Sky Sovereign make its way into Rakdos main decks to be good in the mirror match. Mm. Um, I personally side out some number of Fatal Push in the mirror match because you have to, it requires something else to happen in order to deal with your opponent's um, Bone Crusher Giant, Graveyard Trespasser, Reflection of Kiki-Jiki, those three mana cards. You either have to sacrifice a Blood Token first, which requires a mana, which you don't always want to do, or it requires sacrificing a Treasure Token, which you don't always want to do, uh, or it requires one of your own creatures to die, which you definitely don't want to do, in order to turn on Fatal Push to kill things like the creatures I already mentioned, or Kalidus, or Shieldred. So... Uh, I like bringing in cards like a braid that just one for one kills things and also cards like epic downfall that it's usually used for the mono green matchup, but I also boarded in against the mirror match because it is a one for one that you don't always have to have something else going on like fatal push. Also dread that we haven't talked about that much in the podcast so far is obviously very good. Um, in the mirror match, something a card that I also want to mention is a card called invoke despair, which you know of if you're a standard player. Invoke Despair is really, really, really good in the mirror match, and if you resolve one, you probably win the game unless you're super far behind. And if you are super far behind, it probably brings you back to parity in the mirror match. Uh, I know, Michael, you've played a, a, probably a lot of mirror matches in uh, Rakdos and Pioneer, so uh, you have the floor for the next couple minutes talking about the mirror match. Oh, sheesh. Sheesh. Okay. Um, sheesh. I think for me, uh, I'm more going towards the Reckoner Bankbuster, um, personally, because um, it's kind of like we, you know, both Rakdos know, Dex know, like, uh, it's a war of attrition. Like, you're you're just going to be one for running each other into the dirt, and you need a way to kind of ensure that you have some sort of advantage after everything's kind of been answered and dust is settled. Um I think it's just a new addition to the Rakdos deck for the mirrors. Um, I because like yes, some decks are playing like a braid or Culligan's command, but it's in some ways a little awkward to bring v versus the Rakdos mid range like um, mirror because like your braid could just well not it's not going to be dead, but it's just not as efficient as an answer for everything else. Um, and then you mentioned the. Um, uh, invoke despair, which I agree with. Like that, that definitely does a lot because you're not one for oneing. Ideally, you're two for oneing or three for oneing your opponent with that, depending on what they're bringing in and how they're sideboarding. Um, and then uh, there's probably some, you know, um, 
play draw distinctions too with like bring an extra copy of duress or playing uh Culligan's command or something or the other and um it's a very i mean it's a very meta game to be playing against another Rakdos player so you know i i personally try and rely on um if i've played against the player before knowing kind of how their play style is or uh picking up on things on game one and trying to read the opponent going forward and and trying to make my little edges that way and not trying to uh have a cyborg card that's like the hard solution to it other than the reckoner bank buster which is what rakdos decks are doing um yeah, that's kind of how I feel about the Rakdos, the Rakdos mirror. I got to play a Rakdos. This was early on during uh, the RCQ season where I got to play against Carolyn Kavanaugh. And like, uh, I think game one, she dusted me and like just attrition me into the dirt and had a leftover. It's it's kind of like the person who gets to have the leftover. Uh, why is my brain? Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Like, at, yeah. once the dust settles, you really want to make sure you're the person with the Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Because then when you play another creature, and they have no way to answer it, because if you play another creature that you can copy, you know, those advantages start getting very big very quickly. Um, and that's how she won game one by, like, I think she had, like, two Fables or something or the other, and then just started copying them mm-hmm. all at the end of my at her, end of my end step, so that on yeah. her end step, she can make more things and kill me. And then I won games two and three after that shout out to carolyn she's an amazing player and really fun to play with and personable but um i think that's kind of the game plan is like the war of attrition how do you how do you get on the other side of it because you both know your your decks are going to be good at that you both are going to be left with nothing and you want to kind of subvert uh you know that happening to you and, and kind of investing in your in your round future or your 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 um your turn future in Re- Reckoner Backbuster or being the last one with uh, Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Yeah, it's it's like last man standing, right? It's it's crazy. Yeah. Um, I also do want to talk about what you should do with your discard spells in the mirror match and curious to hear what Airball has to say about that aspect of the um, Rakdos Mirror. Yeah, I mean, you guys are the Rakdos experts, but my instinct would be to, uh, in games two and three, take a lot of them out. Um, traditionally when you have these mid-range uh, mirror matches, you want to make sure that your top decks later in, later on in the game are super impactful. Thoughtseize, Duress are not cards that you want to be drawing on turn 10. You want to be drawing your Fables of the Mirror Breaker. You want to be drawing your, invokes, your Invoke Despairs. And um, discard spells work both ways, right? Like, you're taking a card from your opponent's hand, but it's a one-for-one, one, um, and it turns it into a low-resource game that the opponent is also one Rakdos. They're also uh, aiming for so it's not as productive uh, trading one for one against an opponent who wants to trade one for one as it is as it would be against like a creature deck or something like mm-hmm. that. So I think I would board them out. But I think your question is more about in game one, what cards do you target with your discard spells? Is that what you were asking? Um, well, I was actually asking both. Uh, in games two and three, I usually tend to board out all of my discard spells, literally all of them. Liliana's thought seizes and don't board in it'll uh, don't board in duress if I have it. But in game ones, what would you target uh, out of their hand airball? Yeah, I mean, you would target their two for ones, I would say, right? Uh, you would target their Bone Crusher Giants, you would target their Planeswalkers, you would target their Fables of the Mirror Breaker, you would target anything that gives them the persistent advantage that anything that you would want to play against them <laughs> is the thing that you should probably take from them. Yeah, if, if my opponent has a Graveyard Trespasser and a Fable of the Mirror Breaker uh, and a Blood Tithe Harvester and a Chandra in hand, the one I'm taking is Fable the Mirror Breaker. 
It just does too many things. Uh, it's two different creatures. It gives them card to selection. And what we talked about, and you want to listen to our last podcast as well, talking uh, when we t- talk about a lot of these things, because it, it really um, you know meshes together certain game plans that we're talking about here, uh, about heuristics and shortcuts, because that's something I'm going to mention here in, in talking about taking Field of the Mirror Breaker is you 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 don't really want your opponent to loot cards and to you know discard draw. You also don't want to deal with two different creatures. So you do want to get rid of the two for one, but you also want to make sure that you don't give your opponent a you don't want to give your opponent a decision that could be good for them. Like you don't want them to just like discard their Chandra and draw a new card if that is actually a good thing for them. So you want to give your opponent the least amount of decisions as possible even if one of them is bad for you, like leaving Chandra in their hand. You know, so taking Fable and Rebreaker, I think, is the number one card to take if you are taking something in game one. But actually, if you're listening this far in the podcast, I'm going to give you two secrets to playing Rakdos right now. Two secrets. If you're listening this far, let me know in some kind of comment or uh, let us know on Twitter or at Nuts and Bolts Pod or let us know on YouTube in the YouTube comments if you're watching from there. But a couple secrets. Number one. I'm going to whisper this as little as I can. But I keep in one thought sees post board in the mirror match. <gasps> um, and that is because a lot because Rakdos mirror match opponents will presume that I will be taking out all my thought seizes. So they will. And when I and that that leaves it in a the Rakdos mirror match sometimes comes down to who resolves a uh, Sky Sovereign console flagship or who resolves an Invoke Despair. Or who has the last fable of the mirror breaker standing, like Michael said. And a lot of times you're hoarding those cards in your hand because now nobody has discard. But you do. So you can hold your Thoughtseize until they are on four mana, where you have the highest likelihood of taking their Invoke Despair or their Sky Sovereign Console flagship since they're both five mana. And you have a really good situation here where on turn four, you play a land, you play your three drop fable of the mirror breaker. Or you play your graveyard trespasser, you play your bone crusher giant, and you use that last mana to thought seize their card that's going to destroy you. So um, that is my game plan. That's one of the secrets. My other secret, and this is a card choice that I'm playing in my main deck, is okay. I'm going to whisper this again. Ox of Agonis. I love this card in my Rakdos deck, and it has drawn six cards for me. Like every time I've played it, you can. It's not legendary, so you can copy it with Fable of the Mirror Breaker. It's other side reflection of Kijiki, so you can play it, discard your hand, draw three cards, use a mana, copy it, discard your hand, draw three cards. It is absolutely incredible. Um, I actually used it to cycle through that exact same situation with copying it with Reflection of Kikijiki, drew six cards. The sixth card I drew was the card I needed to kill my opponent. Um, Not only that, but your graveyard does get super filled up as the game goes on, especially in a mirror match situation, especially when you're trading resources back and forth and using discard spells and things, or end removal spells, that you can very reliably cast it back out of your graveyard. Liliana is filling up your own graveyard with cards that you're discarding out of your own hand. You can discard cards from Fable of the Mirror Breaker to fill up your graveyard and draw new cards to um, escape Ox of Agonis back out of the graveyard. It is a really, really, really good card. And I'm kind of sad that I'm telling you guys here, but you heard it first here. I'm playing off Ox of Agonis, and you probably should too. It draws me way, way too many cards. Uh, yeah, I, I want to speak into that like super quickly. First, I spoke too quickly about discard spells in games two or three. I am playing only one dis- like one duress, so similar to you, except you do Thoughtseize, I just do duress. Um, 
might not be as well as keeping a thought season out. I do think about it, but it, I try and like write your it's a game of attrition and damage is usually pretty important in how you win the games in the Rakdos mirrors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I feel very strongly about if you're going to play Liliana in your Rakdos deck that you need to be playing Ox of Agonis. I actually think that there might be another Rakdos mid-range deck that has you know, the copies of, of Liliana uh, and then more copies of Ox of Agonis and maybe some other copies of things like, I don't know, uh, Cor- uh, not Cor- sorry, Croxa or the new Squeak card or something to the effect where like it's a little bit since yep. Liliana's in your deck, it makes the deck more aligned with what Liliana wants to be doing in that Rakdos yep. type of sense. I, of, I'm playing Tenacious different mid-range. In that case. Yep. Yeah, so I think if you're going to jam a copy of, of one or two copies of Liliana, you need to play at least one copy of Ox, which I'm totally in alignment with you, and I, I totally agree with like how you're, how you're doing. I have just a little bit of a, uh, of a background here if you <clears> haven't heard of the uh, heard our other episodes. Um, I and I, I'm using this to kind of solidify that you should be playing Ox if you're listening to this. Um, I've uh, I've topped. I, I don't want. I really don't want to sound like I'm bragging because I'm not. I just want to explain Ox of Agonis. I've topped five, top aided five RCQs in a row. I haven't won any of them because we'll talk about other matchups here in a minute that I, are good matchups, but I lost them somehow. Um, four of those five tops I've played Ox of Agonis, and I have drawn just way too many cards with that card so if you're thinking about playing Rakdos and you're thinking about trying it out it's a pretty cheap card to buy at your local game store coolstuffing.com for five percent off using code james5 but anyways um that card is pretty important anyways let's go ahead and look at some other matchups we're going to talk about them a little bit less in depth than we talk about these because those are like the most important ones let's talk we can talk about uh, mono blue spirits we can talk about mono red boros heroic um, we can talk about blue eye, blue eye control. I do want to get into that because um, Airball is proficient in blue eye control. Then we already talked about the combo decks. I want to talk a little bit about Is It Phoenix and Grease Fang decks and the Sacrifice matchup. So let's go ahead and talk about blue eye control since we are here with Airball today. Um, tell me about the Rakdos mid range matchup against blue white control. Yeah, you and I have had this discussion. Uh a few times uh, offline, and I don't think we've ever agreed on this. I, I think you <laughs> believe that Rakdos is favored. I think it is. I believe that Blue White is favored, and I think that's kind of consistent. Like if you listen to, uh, to other pe- other podcasts talk about this, um, the Blue White players think the Blue White is slightly favored. The Rakdos players think that Rakdos is slightly favored. <laughs> the truth is that it's probably pretty close to even. It depends on the specific configurations of the decks themselves. Um, I I really do think that Blue White Control has the tools to beat Rakdos. I think that a lot of the Rakdos cards are mopey and don't do enough to put a, a good clock against Blue White. And the card draw that's available to Blue White, um, like it's like I was saying earlier, right? Like at the very beginning of the podcast, we were talking about how Rakdos wants to play a one for one game with low resources, and Blue White wants to play a one for one game with high resources. I think that Blue White is a little bit better at making the game high resource than Rakdos is at making the game low resource. Because a lot of the Rakdos cards are about targeting creatures that the Blue White player does not put into play. Um, in other words, Blue White's answers line up better with Rakdos than Rakdos' answers line up with Blue White. So there's more choice for the Blue White player, which means that there's more. Uh, 
there's more opportunity for the blue-white player to gain advantage where the Rectos player can just be stuck. That's that's kind of where I'm at on the matchup. Uh, I do want to I do want to say that yes, like there's cards like Fatal Push and Dreadbore that like do hardly anything to nothing against blue white control, and I'll give that to you. But there's one thing in Thank this you. there's one thing in this yeah you're welcome there's one thing in this Rakdos mid range decks that a lot of like traditional mid range decks can't do is just discard all the cards they don't want. There's so many card times where against blue white control I have Fable the Mirror Breaker in play and I discard like double thought double uh fatal push and draw into more cards that I need. Um, and there's also way less chance to flood out uh, or mana screw because you are, uh, you know, discarding cards and drawing cards with uh, with the blood tokens. Um, the, there is a spot in game ones where I do think that blue white control has the advantage. And I don't think I told you that before, but in blue white control, I think that does have advantage in game one since there are those copies of fatal push and things like that. But in games two and three, I have to give the edge to Rakdos, which gives the match. Uh, edge to Rakdos in my opinion because they're they're all the fatal pushes come out some dread boars come out there's either noxious grasp or duress that are coming in and just cards that are really hard for blue white control to deal with graveyard trespasser is absolutely amazing getting rid of the um the four mana card in the graveyard that you can cast back out of the graveyard memory deluge and also putting a lot of pressure on your removal spells to make you use cards to that force you to use cards like uh, like sweepers, um, whether whether it be a uh, four mana sweeper or whether it be the six mana one that exiles everything in order to get rid of graveyard trespasser efficiently, and because of how because of how uh, efficient the cards are and how two for one e they are in order for you to actually get rid of the cards, it does a really good job at maintaining that card advantage for or kind of disallowing the card advantage for blue white. And also, one thing I haven't mentioned is I really think it's it's easy for for Rakdos midrange to get their threats down before you cast your premier counterspells. Um, you either have sensor or you don't, but usually your counterspell is only three mana and only it's a very specific mana, the the one that gains three life. I, I am terrible with remembering card names. Absorb is what you're absorb. Um, if they have field of ruin in play, you automatically know they cannot absorb you, so you can just freely cast your spell. Um, uh, it, it, there, yeah. there's, so there's a, there's a lot of things that you can do if you really know the blue light control deck to take advantage of getting under their counter their counter spells and force them to have a sweeper because if they don't have a sweeper against a card like graveyard trespasser it's a really good thing for the Rakdos midrange player yeah I'd say that's true I'll I'll point out that um, I, I don't think your analysis of the blue white counter spells is is great because a a lot of the blue white decks right now are not running. Uh, the play set of Absorb, they're they're actually running like Saw It Coming because they've moved to like Behold the Multiverse and other Fertel cards, uh, which does not have the problem with Field of Rune. It can be cast with just two blue instead of two blue and a white. Uh, and Bilbo's Veto that. is like at least a three of yeah. in in most main decks that I've seen. Uh, and it's essential to have that as a three of because Fable of the Mirror Breaker is so good. So like the cards that you're listing, I think, are what make the the matchup fine for Rakdos, but I don't think they make it actively good post board. I think it's just fine. Yeah. Uh, what, what is your assessment on the blue control matchup, Michael? Uh, I kind of fall in between both of you uh, as far as, you know, my feelings about uh, the matchup against blue-white. I think it's very 50-50, and I think it's a really skill-oriented game. Like, I am definitely afraid... Not afraid, but I'm definitely very cautious and definitely, definitely like, more... And I'm not methodical, but... I am in a different headspace or zone when I'm playing against a blue-white player than I am 
some other players <clears throat> across the table. And it shouldn't be that way, but that's just how I operate. Because generally, in my experience of a blue white player, blue white players are kind of. Um, it's a word for Careful. It. Careful. <laughs> can I compliment? I'm just going to. I get okay. that you feel yes. very yes, you defensive, can. but I'm actually going to <laughs> be complimentary. Be careful what your um, next words are, Michael. No, I feel like blue white players are. Um, what's the word for it? They're they're staunch advocates. Like they're very like kind of like how Rakdos players like the Rakdos gang gang thing. There's like you know there's Azorius control players who are very much like I am an Azorius control player, um, and this is what I really love doing and want to do all the time. And so like you have to get very technical and methodical about how you're playing. So it's almost just like. You know, you watch those animes where like there's two warriors and you just see like sparks flying the whole time and no one's getting a hit in. That's kind of how <laughs> it feels like anytime I'm playing against most, you know, Azorius control players. And I hate Azorius colors. Like I just, I just do for what it stands for, the whole thing. But I respect them, right? And it, if you don't have a healthy respect for it, you're just going to get bodied. And so I, I, I go in between of where you and, and both you gentlemen are, are at is like, I feel like it's a 50 50 matchup and it's really skill dependent. It's very technical. It's important how you sequence. It's important how you read your opponent more so than other matchups because, you know, a lot of people not to like, you know, clown on some other people, but they're just like, I'm living off the top of my 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 uh, deck and I'm just going to play these cards and, and not think about it and just like, yeah, I'm doing great. I'm the best player in the world. But like, you if you're against Yoki Bear, it sounds like you were. Sometimes that's what it feels like, <laughs> but then when you play against a like you know Azora's control player, like they're drawing their cards slow, they're reading their cards, or reading your cards, they're thinking for things. It's like it's just a different, it's just a different game in my in, in my in my in my mind. So yeah, uh, it, that's what I yeah. feel about the matchup, and 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 that carries on to Pioneer and this experience between the two decks of Rectus Midrange and, and Azora's control. It's like you both are speaking to the points that I'm thinking of in the matchup. And in Rakdos, if they're both methodical in this way, Rakdos is trying to sequence in a way that makes it really difficult for Blue Eye Control to make the right decision with their counter spells. And the entire time, the Blue Eye Control player is thinking, okay, what is the right decision for my counter spell? Which one do I use? It's like they have two of them, and they're like, which one is better for this situation? Which one do I need to use now because it will get worse throughout the game? And which one is better is is uh, you know better throughout the game? So I'll use the other one now. So. Maybe I just said the same thing twice in a row. I don't even know what I said. But anyways, um, you have different decisions like that in a sequencing that can really matter a lot. Sometimes I'll have a, a Thought Seize or Duress and a creature in my hand, and I really want to resolve the creature. So I will Thought Seize first and then and then that get get that Dovin's Vetoed or whatever counterspell they want to use and then resolve my creature. But sometimes I want to just look at their hand. So I'll cast the creature first to get that countered and then cast Thought Seize after. So it's just a matter of how you sequence things and... Um, sometimes your decision will be different than others based on how your board state is and how many cards you have in your hand, how many cards your opponent has in their hand. And also you have to be aware of Dream Trawler against the Blue Eye Control that can make sure you have an answer to that, whether it is Extinction Event or Liliana the Veil or just killing it at instant speed when they have zero cards in hand, which almost never happens. Uh, anyways, um, that, that's just a little bit of an idea of your Blue Eye Control matchup against Mono Blue Spirits. I'm just going to go over these really quick because our session here is going to come to an end soon. But um, uh, really against different matchups, you want to really do what Michael said before and really um, pick your role assessment very well. Um, if you want to, if you're playing against an aggressive deck like Mono Red or Boros Heroic or Mono Blue Spirits in a way, or is it Phoenix in a way, 
Um, these decks want to kill you as fast as possible, so your role is going to be to play the control deck because you have a lot of removal spells. You can be the control player. You can cast Fatal Push against their creatures. You can even board in all of your sweepers, and um, you can board in Meat Hook Massacre if you play that and get rid of all their creatures and then all of a sudden win the game with your cards like Bone Crusher Giant that you might have used before to kill their creature, but now it's a 4-3. They don't have very much of a board to... They don't have a board that matches up very well against your Graveyard Trespasser or your Bone Crusher Giant, and all of a sudden now you have the advantage and now you go on the beatdown to them while they have only one or two creatures remaining and no cards left in their hand. That is kind of how you want to beat the aggro decks. And I think all of those fall into like a similar category. Mono Red is a little bit more burn heavy than Boros Heroic is really big creature trample heavy and more targeting their creatures and having a big trample double striker. That can really, really be a problem for Rakdos if they have a bunch of protection cards like God's Willing that can stop your removal spells. So you, a lot of the time you want to have a card like Thought Seize and an instant speed interaction or like a Blood Chief's Thirst and another instant speed interaction to really get around cards like God's Willing and even fight as one if they're playing cards like that. Um, but and against the control matchups and also the combo decks that we've said before, it's really important to have your Rakdos deck become the aggro deck and really get that two mana three two on the board as soon as possible. There's also cards that kind of fall into the middle realm, and we'll talk a little bit about those. Uh, Mono Blue Spirits is, is I kind of treat like an aggro deck, but you really want to be able to race them with your cards like Graveyard Trespasser and Bone Crusher Giant because they don't really have efficient removal for those cards unless they're bouncing them, and they don't really want to be bouncing your Bone Crusher Giant to your hand because you can just use Stomp again to kill one of their other creatures. So you um, you can efficiently race them as long as you get rid of their lords and against their Anthem cards, like as we said before and earlier on. Because one Lord, I guess, that we didn't mention to you is the Spirit Lord that is very important for the Mono Blue Spirits deck. And my personal strategy against that Blue-White control, uh, not Blue-White, against the uh, Mono Blue Spirits deck is to race them. So what does that mean? Not getting rid of their cards that don't matter, quote-unquote, getting rid of the cards that actually do matter. And if the game plan going into the matchup is to race them and kill them before you before they kill you, then you should probably be killing their Lord instead of killing their other creatures. That's my personal uh, philosophy. But we'll talk about some decks in the middle, and I'll give Airball and Michael the floor on these, is let's talk about Is It Phoenix and Grease Fang and Sacrifice, and then we'll be done. So let's start with Is It Phoenix for the Rakdos matchup. I'll leave that one to you to start off, Michael Kritz. Yeah, um, I think that one's an interesting matchup. I think it's, I think you know, in your boiling down the the uh, the the aggro decks earlier, I think you were correct about those other aggro decks. They're all, you know, basically the same flavor. Just don't get got by the ways that those decks will get you. Various yeah. ways, obviously, but I think uh, the Is It Phoenix is a little bit, a little bit different enough in flavor to kind of it be outside of that realm and i think it's because yeah they want to kill you fast but also they're one of the other few, they're actually one of the few aggro decks cuz like aggro generally can't do this but is it phoenix can where they can top deck you and kill you like you can sweat them out of all their resources but if they just have like enough mana and can chain back to back stuff they can just temporal trespass kill you on the spot and i've had it happen to me i helped teammates do this in testing like, my teammates would give up against Rakdos. I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, what? I'm like, you have one out. Go for your out. And they're like, I don't see it. I'm like, chain together a bunch of spells so you hit. You hope to hit Temporal Trespass or Treasure Cruise. I don't know if these cards, all these cards are still being played by these Yeah, they're, by both, these decks. they're both still being played. And Galvanic Iteration. Right. And so it's like, 
So in the Rakdos matchup, it's like do your best that you can against Is it Phoenix and try and like really dwindle down the resources or access to like you know their Phoenixes or whatnot. But it, you can just still get got, and that's just kind of the nature of that matchup. Um, and, and that's basically what I have to say about you know, Is it Phoenix. Like you, you know how I sideboard for those games is like bring in a um, unlicensed Hearst. You have the um, and then you also still want to keep in those. Um, Getting it, the gra- graveyard trespassers, and there's some little like cute other sideboard stuff that you can bring in too. But the, the objective is hope your opponent doesn't kill you. Have something slightly proactive because they can still top deck you and kill you. So that's that's my two cents about it. Right. My thing. My thing about that matchup, and I'll I'll leave it to Airball after I say this, is that when you're playing the is the is it Phoenix deck, you kind of want to not play into Rakdos's strengths. If you know that Rakdos strengths is discard and removing creatures, you have to kind of change your game plan against Rakdos, right? You have to become a combo deck. Rakdos is really bad against combo decks, but you have to kind of become that. You have to chain uh, Galvanic Iteration into Treasure Cruise, into Temple Trespass, and you can do all of that in the same turn. If you if you do all of that, you're probably going to have eight cards in hand and a huge board of Phoenixes. And Rakdos is really, really bad against decks that can combo you like that. And I think you might have to switch your game plan and not actually play the game plan that you usually always play against certain decks. And is to make sure you have the Phoenixes, discard the Phoenixes to Lightning Axe, or discard the Phoenixes to, to uh, another discard spell. Um, uh, get them back on turn four with a, with a one, two, three spells, cantrip, bring the Phoenixes back. You can't really do that against Rakdos because they're really good at efficiently exiling your graveyard and getting rid of little creatures. Like you would be playing if you're playing um, the the two mana bird, or if you're playing the 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 O four that flips up and and bounces your opponent's board to the hand, right? Like you would usually play those cards if you're playing Phoenix, but you might have to switch up your game plan a little bit. Uh, what do you think about that matchup, Airball? Well, I think it's kind of funny that the three matchups you mentioned were is it Phoenix, Grease Fang, and Recto Sack, because like all three of those rely heavily on the graveyard, and so the question is how well can Rakdos handle the graveyard? Uh, with it, like without making itself worse against the rest of the field, and I think you know we've kind of beaten this dead horse for quite a while. It does a very good job of that. The graveyard trespasser does a pretty good job of targeting single cards out of the graveyard, uh, at least at sorcery speed. If the opponent can play around that uh, at, with instant speed effects, then that's a different story. Uh, Unlicensed Terse is obviously just an excellent card to have in the board. Um, I've seen even a few Rakdos decks make concessions to these Ezzet Phoenix and Grease Fang decks and actually bring in Leyline of the Void in Pioneer, um, which I think is extreme. Um, it's not really a card that Rakdos wants to be playing. It's just straight card disadvantage a lot of the time. But uh, you got to do what you got to do um, because you're right that these blue-based decks can go way over the top of you. Um, copying tre- Temporal Trespass, Treasure Cruise... Um, Pieces of the puzzle. Oh, what, pieces of the puzzle was the one I was thinking of. Yeah, exactly. Uh, those cards are really difficult for the Rakdos deck to deal with. Um, so it's the same thing we were talking about earlier. Just these kinds of decks that go way over the top. Don't give them time. Don't give them breathing room. Just uh, get them dead. That's the, otherwise, they're going to beat you in the late game. Yep. You really want that graveyard interaction, of course, against, is it Phoenix, Grease Fang, and Rakdos Sacrifice? Rakdos Sacrifice, not too much, though, because they're going to bring back their cat at instant speed, so there's usually no situation where you're going to exile it out of their graveyard. So I usually go for artifact removal in the form of a braid and, and making sure that I always destroy their um, their um, their three mana card that pings every time. Uh, the three mana creature, Mayhem Devil. 
which it can put Rakdos in a really bad spot, being able to pick off Reflection of Kiki-Jikis and Blood Tide Harvesters and things like that. And a lot of cards in, in the Rakdos mid-range deck do sacrifice. Treasures, um, there's uh, Blood Tokens that sacrifice. Um, even, even the Reflection of Kiki-Jiki copy sacrifices itself at the end step. So Mayhem Devil is very, very good. Also, there is uh, Claim the Firstborn that's also very good against Rakdos midrange, stealing all the three drops for themselves and sacrificing them with Witch's Oven. So I always like to get rid of the uh, oven. I also have a cup, one copy of Hidetsugu Consumes All in my sideboard for the Rakdos matchup because it kills mm -hmm. all the Blood Tokens, all the Treasure Tokens, and all of the uh, Witch's Ovens. And also I bring in a license hearse because sometimes you can take the cat out of the graveyard at instant speed, and that does help a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the Rakdos matchup's pretty 50-50. The Rakdos sacrifice against Rakdos midrange, as long as you can get rid of Mayhem Devil. Against Grease Fang is a pretty bad matchup because it kind of falls into the Lotus Field creativity mono green area of being a combo deck that mm -hmm. they can combo you as early as turn three and, and kill you with the with the big boat that does a lot of damage, 13 damage. And it's really kind of really hard unless you have a bunch of fatal pushes to deal with both of the four, four angels afterwards. So you basically just die on turn three or turn four whenever they resolve that card. So that's why another reason why I like a braid is if they already have the the um, the artifact on the board, the vehicle, you can kill it. But also if they bring it back on turn three with Grease Fang, you can kill that. Also, you could just straight up kill the Grease Fang which is really good with a card like a braid. Also, it means I'm playing a card on the sideboard like you can play Noxious Grasp to kill the Grease Fang as well, but also just the best thing against that deck is probably Graveyard Interaction, dealing with the Grease Fang if they happen to want to bring it back later on in the game, and also dealing with their vehicles. But sometimes it's just a really a, a, a bad matchup because not only do you have to have these specific cards to deal with the Grease Fang matchup or deal with Grease Fang or deal with the vehicles, you have to have it like right away in your opening hand or draw into it right away. And if you don't, you're probably going to instantly lose the game, right? Yeah, fuck Grease Fang. Just <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's just, I think that's the main reason people are bringing Leyline and Avoid in is because they just don't want to have to worry about the Grease Fang matchup. But sometimes Grease Fang even plays cards like Fracture that can get rid of it or Vanishing Verse that can get rid of it. So sometimes it's a difficult cookie to crack, but I've had good luck playing against Grease Fang. And sometimes the thing about playing the Grease Fang deck, if you've ever played it, is that sometimes it just doesn't do the thing. You have all the pieces in place, you have all the discard cards, but you have no vehicle. Or you have all the vehicles and they're all in the graveyard, but you can never draw Grease Fang. So sometimes I feel like Grease Fang just destroys itself sometimes. Yep, uh, yep, I have the same thing. And then uh, Lane of the Void, I think, is you know there for Grease Fangs, for there for Acto Sacrifice, and it's there for Is It Phoenix. Depending on your meta, I feel like it's a very uh, it's one of those weird things where you get a lot of percentage points in your local metas. Like I know in Denver, before I was heading out, lots of people are going to Is It Phoenix, so there might have been a point where I would feel like keen on bringing like or having three Leyline of the Voids in the sideboard. And Grease Fang was starting to get an uptick too. I don't know where the Denver meta is now, but I think that's where you saw the concession of Leyline of the Voids. I wouldn't bring like Leyline of the Void like that to possibly like an RC. Like, there's no shot I would bring Leyline of the Void to the RC unless it's like, well, everyone has figured out the formula for these three, you know, graveyard centric decks. But other than that, there's it's it's not something you should be bringing to um, general events. I think. Yep. Uh, there's one. There's one more deck I want to bring up that is rising in popularity that I, I don't have on my list here, but it's five color enigmatic incarnation fires of invention that um, plays the new leyline binding card that can sacrifice it, sacrifice it with enigmatic and bring out a turn as early as turn four, uh, agent of treachery or Titan of industry. Um, this deck can go super over the top of Rakdos and be a pretty bad matchup for Rakdos at times. 
But against that matchup, you just want to do what you usually do against combo decks that try to control the board. You play your you play your creature on turn two, your two mana three two, and then you kill them by interacting with them as fast as possible. That's the matchup against combo decks and control decks, and we already said the matchup against aggro decks. Anyways, that's all for us today. Hopefully, you can go into your next local meta or your next regional championship qualifier feeling a lot more confident playing Rakdos midrange against all of these matchups, especially with me and Michael Kritz having a lot of experience playing Rakdos and Airball having a lot of experience playing against it. Thank you so much to everybody for listening, especially to those who made it this far. Make sure to give us a follow to see our next episodes. Subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at Nuts and Bolts Pod, and we'll see you in the top eight.